We welcome you to the Tuesday People Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Mitch Album, the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is inspired. Lisa Goich, who puts the show together, our producer and my friend, is on the line with us as well. Lisa, good to have you with us. Hello, Mitch. We do this every week, and uh, basically, if you're just joining us for the first time, if you ever read the book Tuesdays with Maury or familiar with the premise of it, I had an opportunity when I was in my 30s to go visit with a favorite old college professor who I discovered very late in the process was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And after missing out on him for 16 years while I was so busy with my career and my accomplishments, too busy to even go visit him, suddenly I found out that he only had a certain amount of time left to live. And I tried to make up for it with a single visit. One visit turned to two, to three, to four, to five, and they were always on Tuesdays. And we ended up visiting for all the Tuesdays that he had left in his life, which spanned a number of months. And during that time, we took a course together in what really matters in life once you really know you're going to die. Not the theoretical, I know one day I'm going to die, but I'm looking at my mortality in the mirror every day and... It could be weeks, it could be days, that type of knowing you're going to die. What really matters to you at that point and what does not? And we were able to do this class of this matters, this doesn't matter. You think this matters, but when you get to where I am, it's not going to matter. It proved to be a hugely influential thing for me in my life. And apparently, based on the number of people who have read the book Tuesdays with Maury all around the world... Uh, apparently for some other people too. And so the podcast came about a little uh, less than two years ago to revisit some of the conversations that Maury and I had all these years later and see if we can continue to glean lessons. Maury always wanted on his tombstone the expression, a teacher to the last. And so I think when, when he considers the last is like the last molecule on earth, not the last breath that he took, he wants to continue teaching after he's gone and for many, many years, and he's continuing to do that remarkably through through the book and through people who knew him and who have embraced some of the lessons that he learned. But a lot of people don't know Maury's story, Maury's childhood story, Maury, who he was. You know, most people, Lisa, think that they think of Maury Schwartz, they think of the book, they just think of this learned old professor who already had Lou Gehrig's disease, was down to his dying weeks, and was imparting wisdom to a wayward student. And you know how we sort of frame people with the image that we have of them, and we just sort of think, that's it. We don't ever think Mm -hmm. of them in any other time in their life. But Maury, obviously, like all of us, had a childhood, and it was rough, rough to say the least. And you might find it interesting that he became such a sensitive, caring individual in his later years when you consider that he had none of that shown to him Mm. during his early years. So Maury was the child of, of immigrants, and his mother was extremely sick from a very early age. When we would talk about what was the matter with her? He would say, I, I, I think it was kidneys. I think it was some. In those days, they didn't give diagnoses. You're sick. And mm-hmm. she was sickly and she had to stay in the house. She was only in her 20s. Their parents married very young. She was only in her 20s, 20s. 
And yet wow. she was confined to the house. And Maury's only memories of her are basically inside the house as a sick woman. She, he was only, oh, about six or seven years old when this came to a terrible conclusion. Here's Maury talking about the experience of having a, a sick mother. Listen. And she was sick for about two years before she died. So the whole thing started at age six, the lack of mothering, so to speak. And that's a devastating thing for a youngster. And I don't remember feeling the lack, but I do remember, like, well, how should I put it, being resistant. I remember one vision of I was playing stickball, you know, on the street. She'd call me out of the window to come and get her me get medicine for her. And I sort of keep her waiting because I resented the fact that... She was sick and she needed and medicine. Yeah, right. And I had to give up my pleasure. Right. You know how kids are. Now, when Maury told me this story, he began to break down and cry. This was 70 years later. And he still felt guilty over not paying attention to his mother when she was sick, pretending that she wasn't sick, pretending that he didn't hear her calling for him to bring her his medicine. Now, you can understand when a six or seven-year-old child doesn't want to hear something, so they pretend they don't hear it or they close it out, right? I mean, it's perfectly understandable. Mm -hmm. And yet for Maury... It tortured him 70 years later. He still felt guilty about what he did or what he didn't do when he was seven years old. Wow, I'm that's going to crazy. I'm going to tie this together in today's sort of lesson with some other memories of his in, in, in just a moment. But the point I want you to remember is seven. We can barely remember things from when we were seven. Our memories right. generally start, really, they say about three, somewhere three to four. We, we claim that we remember, th oh, I remember when I was a baby. Most people don't. So your real cognizance starts three or four. Here, this was just two years later. He's six years old. I have a hard time remembering a whole lot of what went on when I was five years old. Do you, Lisa? I mean, uh, I remember some things. You probably, I bet yeah. you remember, like most people, I bet you remember about four stories from those years. There's about four stories that most people have from like their kindergarten year. Oh, there was one day, I, I remember, for example, there was a kindergarten, there was a play uh, that we had, and they asked everybody what they wanted to be, and their mother, the mothers were all in the audience. I don't know why, but they had us all on stage and they asked us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a garbage man. <laughs> and everybody laughed. And I didn't know why they laughed because I thought it was the, such a cool thing. I would watch the garbage men come by and pick up the stuff in front mm -hmm. of our house. And I just thought it was great. You know, I want to be on that truck one day. And um, they asked my mother, you know, well, what do you think of that? I mean, I, I don't know. I guess she was in the audience or whatever. And she said, as long as he's the best garbage man he can be, that's fine by me. Right. Now, I remember that. That's one. I might be able to remember riding to school. That's two. Uh, 
Well, you can I'm already pushing moments. it. Yeah, that's yeah, what you I remember. You remember a moment, but but I bet you, yeah. I bet from age five, you don't have more than four or five moments that you can remember. Oh, I, I mean, from five or after five? Eight, no, because, age five, age five. Oh, age five, age five. I'm not sure, but I have a lot of, you know, maybe it was like first grade, second grade. I can remember lots of things. Right, like, starts I, getting different by first or second grade, but even those, I bet, I yeah. bet your second grade memories. You think you remember a lot. Because you remember how you felt, or you remember the class, but specific memories, specific things that happen, I bet you can't name more than 10. Well, I remember, uh, I can remember maybe, I think, I know I was five, because I had just signed up for kindergarten, and I brought all my kindergarten package. Um, My aunt picked me up and took me to my cousin's school, and she gave me, for my first day of kindergarten, a baby first step doll, I don't know if Kids, okay. will, kids of my age will remember those. It was a doll that actually could walk. Her feet shuffled. Right. And I remember going to my cousin's school and bringing my baby first step. And I can tell you, I can picture the booklet that they gave me in school. Like, I remember it. Like, I can picture the paper, hmm. um, the cover. Uh, and yet for no particular that. reason, because that's not a phenomenal uh-uh. memory. That's just a memory, no, well, right? It, it probably was for me, because it was my first day of school. Maybe first that day was of school. Big. I remember... Right. I remember when I broke my leg in fourth grade, I had to go to a special school for for children with uh, physical disabilities. I was it was it was called white orthopedic in Detroit. But I remember that I remember my first day of school, this boy chasing me around and I was in a wheelchair and I didn't know where I was going. And still to this day, I have nightmares about that because hmm. I didn't know the hallways. You know what I mean? It was right. I, I just got there until so the teacher, that was like, fourth grade helped right? me. That was, that was fourth, fourth grade. grade. Okay, so fourth grade already, you're you're nine Seven, years old. Seven, eight, nine, yeah. whatever you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think by that point, you're starting to remember things. But it's yeah. interesting that you said, you know, I still have nightmares about that. So this is this is what we're talking about today: memories that you have from your childhood that can still haunt you. So for Maury, okay, this was one that he ignored his mother when she needed her medicine. And I'm mm-hmm. sure at the time he just wanted to be a kid. And now as an adult, it haunted him as an adult, thinking that he had been cruel to his mother. Here is another one. When his mother died, his father did not speak English. Listen to this particular scenario. What do you actually remember of your mother's actual death? My mother went to the hospital. We did not visit her there. We got a telegram, I don't know how much longer, later, announcing that she was dead. That's how. That's it? I have the telegram. You still have it? I'll show it to you. What made you keep the telegram all these years? My father kept it. Uh-huh. When he died, I just got some of his stuff. Uh-huh. That was one of How did he inform you? Were you there when the telegram? telegram came? I probably informed him because he couldn't read English. Now imagine this scene. Maury is eight years old. A telegram comes to the house. The father says, read this because he can't read English. Mm -hmm. And Maury has to read, we regret to inform you that his mother's name has died. He has to read this out loud to his father. He started crying again when he told me this memory. What a terrible thing Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. have to endure. 
to have to read for your father. So sad. So you're telling your father that his wife is dead. At the same moment, you're learning that your mother is dead. Mothers, yeah. That's a pretty traumatic moment, right? That's heavy for a kid, for sure. Very heavy. Very heavy. Wow. And this stayed with him for many years. And the fact that his father didn't react. He didn't really react to it. He didn't show any emotion. And, of course, Maury was trying to, you know, get that emotion, get 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 the validation from his father that what Maury was feeling and the sadness that he yeah. was feeling was okay. And here his father was very stoic. He didn't say a whole lot. And he just hears his son read this telegram and then, you know, walks off, basically. That right. stays with you for a long time. And that haunted Maury for a long mm. time. And finally, there was another incident after his mother died at the funeral. I asked him what he remembered of the funeral. And this is, as just at least as you had your thing, I was getting chased around the hallway when I was in fourth grade. It doesn't, it stays with you, right? Even though it yeah. seems like a small thing now, but it stays with you because it was scary. Here is what he said. I do have some memories of what happened at the funeral like. I took off from school and the kids were walking by. And I was so ashamed, you know, because they saw me in this bereaved state. Was the, the cemetery was right near? The no, no, this is outside the house oh. before they brought the casket down. Mm-hmm. And I had this hysterical aunt who started screaming at me, what are you going to do without your mother? And I broke down, you know. That's a good thing to yell at a kid, an eight-year-old kid. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? But that's what it was. That's the foremost memory I have. So now here he is preparing to go to the funeral. And he's got Mm -hmm. this crazy aunt who starts wailing, you know, as people sometimes do at funerals or at deaths. What are you going to do? You're all alone. There's nobody to take care of you. How will you get by? This is not something you want to be yelling at an eight-year-old. Right. But she did. And now here he is 70 years later, 70 years later, still recalling it, still recoiling from it, still reacting to it. So this was all a a, a series of events tied to the death of Maury's mother. And we see that it has a profound effect on him seven decades later still. So imagine the effect it had on him in his 20s, yeah, maybe when he was choosing someone to be his wife, the fears that they might die. Imagine the effects it had on him when they had children, remembering the trauma that he had felt, not wanting to inflict that on his own children. Right. So many ways it comes back and repeats itself. And this is what happens with childhood trauma. And I believe that we never totally get over those things. Yeah. I think that they stay with us in ways that we never even realize. And it's very important for people to get these things out of your system, to talk about them. Because unresolved childhood trauma may be affecting you in ways that you, you don't even know. And you say, why do I always feel this way? How come I? And we tend to look at it from our adult years forward. Well, what did I do 
two years ago? What did I do when I started my career? What did I do when I first got married? What did I do? Well, as if the starting point is after age 21. And there must Mm -hmm. be a way to figure out what the problem is analyzing our adult behavior. Right. But rarely, and a lot of uh, analysts and, and, and therapists aren't necessarily equipped to talk about the childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. They tend to talk about what's going on in your life now. Well, why do you feel the way that you do now? But so much of it, I think, stems from this stuff, as you can see with Maury, 70 years later, 70, not 20, 70 years later, still being affected by these moments from his childhood that were traumatic, suggests that all of us, if we've had some kind of trauma in our childhood, are likely to be being affected by it now, but are we discovering it? That's the point. Well, I think, you know, when you're saying, do you remember memories? I think it's those traumatic memories that imprint on us. I don't think that we really remember the happy things because now that you've said this, I could probably tell you 10 things that I remember that were not pleasant, um, that I'm positive have affected me in some negative way in my life. I remember my parents fighting. I remember... I won't get into the details, but a very bad fight that took place between my parents. And I had to run down the street to my neighbor's house to have her come help me, you know, because I was afraid. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember when a girl in my school got into a very bad car accident Mm. and we were afraid she was going to die. That was kind of the, you know, maybe maybe it was rumor or whatever, but she had a very bad head injury. Uh, you know, like things like that, like they're all bad memories. You know, I don't, I don't remember that many good things. I mean, I know I'm a people pleaser and I know it's because of my girlfriend I had when I was a kid. She was one of my best friends and she was not nice to me and was often abusive to me. And I still, to this day, am always worried. Are you mad at me? Did I do something? Mm. Please don't be mad at me. Mm. What can I do? Like, and if somebody gets mad at me for some reason, it's, it's, traumatic to me you know i uh i still can't handle it and i'm 58 for goodness sake so that's interesting because your current behaviors are still affected by something that happened when you were young Mm -hmm. and really young not 20 something young but but a kid young Mm -hmm. maury um hungered for that affection that he felt he didn't get from his mother throughout the course of his life he mm-hmm. found it in the affection not only of his obviously his wife and his and his, his sons, but in the affection of all these students, even me. You know, he, he loved to have these students around validating him, and he wanted to show somebody. He wanted to feel their affection, but he also wanted to show affection mm-hmm. because he was denied the ability to show the affection to his mother who got sick mm-hmm. very young, and he was kind of afraid of her, and he, he kind of sort of stayed away because he didn't want to witness her illness, and a father who was very standoffish. Later, right. we don't have a cut from it, but later, Maury had to go down to the morgue to identify his father, uh, who died very suddenly from a heart attack during a traumatic incident, and that memory stayed with him. The fact that you know there wasn't the communication that they needed to be, and now he was gone. And so, again, he sought to be a communicator. He sought to talk. Mm-hmm. He sought to share. He countered countered the traumatic experience 
with things that like were on the opposite side of the teeter-totter. Now, some people do that. Some people just suffer the very same afflictions that they have been trying to escape from. Mm-hmm. So if they suffered from neglect, all right, childhood trauma, very bad, suffer from neglect. It may be that they become very needy. It may be they become very affectionate. Or it may be that they neglect other people because they're repeating mm-hmm. that pattern. And they can't get close to people because they don't, they weren't close to somebody themselves. They didn't learn yeah. that lesson, right? Yeah. Uh, same, same thing, thing with emotionally unavailable parents. You know, parents never really talked about feelings and how you felt as a kid it was just do your role, clean your room, stop complaining, you know, be a big boy, whatever the things are. Then it may be that when they grow up, they become similar kinds of people to their own children. Mm-hmm. I didn't get I didn't get a chance to vent. Why should you? I didn't get anybody to hold my hand and carry me through. You've heard this a lot of times. Hey, when I was seven years old, my dad took me outside and said, get going, you know, start working around here. And sometimes people react to that by saying, I'm going to do the same thing with my kid. But, But just as often, if not more often, it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to make my children suffer what I went through. Whatever I can do to change the experience, I want to do. So these childhood traumas, can often be positive things if we recognize what they are, even though they were not positive things when we were going through them. But the the negative can engender positive behavior in your behavior now if you can identify what it was that left you lacking, Mm -hmm. what it was that, 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 that cast this trauma on you, and what can you do to turn it into something positive. I... As you know, I, I operate an orphanage in Haiti, and I just got back last night and I go every month. And there were so many kids that I observed. You know, we have about 50 kids. And sometimes at night, as happy as they are during the day, and I mean, they're ecstatic and playful and running around. I imagine if you, mm-hmm. you grew up in a place where you got on a Saturday, for example, you got to play with 50 kids all day long. And right. we do our best to try to provide some activities. And while they don't match up to uh, an American, you know, we have gymnastics class at nine o'clock and we have the soccer <laughs> practice at 11 and we have the uh, European cooking class for beginners at three. And then we have the TV programs and then we have dinner with grandma and then we have a movie we're going to go. T- okay, that's crazy. America is just crazy when it comes mm-hmm. to offerings. But at our place, I mean, we do have games that they can play, books that they can read, team sports that they can participate in, swings, slides. Uh, you know, there's the meals, three meals a day and all. So it fills up the day. And as happy as these kids are during all that, at night I notice when it's time to go to bed, a lot of them get very somber. A lot of them get very... Um, almost sad, and sometimes they just cry, especially the girls. But the mm. boys, too. They just start to convulse. And, of course, the Haitian Aww. way is is just don't show it. Don't show that you're crying. So they try to hide it. Or they're, but I go around to all the beds and kiss everybody goodnight, and I see some kids are just sort of, you know, an hour earlier they were upbeat and hugging everybody, and now they're just kind of... And so I started to talk to our nannies about, well, what is 
what, what do you think this is? And they said they miss their mothers at mm-hmm. night. You know, that's the moment that they are thinking about whatever family unit they once had that they lost. There's something about that moment, that going to sleep moment, that sense of security, that even though they're in a room with 10 other kids, plenty, plenty of action, plenty of bodies, mm-hmm. it's not like it's a loneliness thing, but they feel alone and they feel that disconnect from whatever family sense they had. Even though they come to us when it's they're two or three or four, they don't have a whole lot of memories that stay with them, but that is something kicks in. And they are right. suffering from being orphans. You know, their parents killed, lost in an like earthquake. Like a sense of abandonment. Yeah, yeah a sense of that, abandonment. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I would think that that would, that would be hard, you know, because even when you don't know what's going on, I think you feel that, you know, they don't, they don't know what's going on. They might not remember what their parents looked like, but right. I would assume that you always live with that, you know. They always say that when children don't get nurtured really early on, then they become you know, that's traumatizing for them. So these kids could be having some of that as well. Right. Now, what happens with that? How do those nighttime tears turn into something? Well, sometimes they'll make for a very insecure person. They'll make for people who become adults and don't trust relationships or always keeping people at a distance because they don't want to lose them the way they lost their mother and father. But equally... I've told you about our second oldest college student who is on the track for pre-med. He's got a 4.0 average, and he wants to be a child psychiatrist or child psychologist um, Hmm. because he wants to talk to kids who went through that kind of trauma or are going through that kind of trauma because he says, I remember what it felt like not to have anybody to talk to, and I don't want them to have to suffer that, so I'm going to... I want a job where I can talk to them and, and tell them what to expect about the world and, and how you go on when you don't have your parents. So in that yeah. case, he took the feeling that he endured and turned it into something productive and positive. That's what Maury did too, his feeling of not being loved and not getting attention. He turned it into showering people with love, showering right. people with attention and overdoing it the opposite way. Right? How many parents have you seen who when they were young, they had a really tough father, a really brutal mother. And so they want to mm-hmm. be the opposite, right? They, they go almost too far. They buy the kid everything that he wants or they mm-hmm. tell him constantly until the point of the kid doesn't even take it seriously anymore, how special he is and how loved he is mm-hmm. and how all the rest of it, because, well, we didn't have it when we were younger. So childhood events are almost certainly behind some of who you are as an adult. So as Maury recommended, and he certainly did so with me and other people who came to visit, look back with a, with a, with a microscope and see if you can find those moments that, that when you think about them, they still make you feel very strongly. Like you say, Lisa, yeah. you're still scared about that fourth grade kid chasing after you in a wheelchair. Yeah which is terrifying. Try to isolate that. Try to identify that and see if there isn't something that you can do about it once you do. See if you say, well, I just need to get with more of these kinds of people or I just need to surround myself with these kinds of people or I got to get back on 
back on board, you know, whatever it is that scared mm-hmm. me. I got to go try it again so it won't scare me anymore. Whatever it is, just recognize when you're feeling sort of out of it for out of its sake and you can't really know why, go and do a thorough examination of your childhood and see if there was something. See if there was something there that turned the whole thing around because we're, we're very sensitive at that age and anything that we go through is going to be felt that much stronger and going to resonate that much longer. Yeah, down the line. Yep. Sorry about your bring up dredge those fourth grade memories for you. Oh, that's okay. I never forget them. Put you. Th- I mean, I, I try to, to turn them around. <laughs> I know, but I tr- you know I try to turn them around. Even like you know, my dad. You know, I think they fought a lot because my dad came from a bad situation. I'm to the point now, and he's 98, right? So. He's he's turned into a different guy than he was when I was growing up, you know. So, I think sometimes when you look at people, I'm just a little more sympath no empathetic to him, and all of that. So I've you know a lot of it I turn around, and the poor right. kid, Lord knows, like, you know, I, I I don't know what his thing was. Maybe he mm. maybe he thought I was cute in my wheelchair. He might he was- have been. He might have just been <laughs> gone and say, "Slow down. I want to want to tell you how pretty you are." It's Who are possible. you? <laughs> yeah. You're a new kid here. I will never, I'll never forget that, though. Yeah. That was, well, these know. are those moments that stay with us for a long time, and they, they present themselves in a lot of symptoms, depression, panic attacks, eating disorders, obsessional worries, anxieties, relationship fears. They can live inside all of those, absolutely. And some of the things you might find difficult as a result of that you may be constantly attempting to please people, as you are, Lisa, as you admitted there. Mm-hmm. Um, you may just have outbursts of frustration or social anxiety symptoms when you get into a setting with a lot of other people. You you, you freak out. Fears of yeah. being judged. Low self-esteem. These are all things that I hope all that people... It. Yeah, I hope that our... I hope that our audience can can delve back and, and, and look carefully at your childhood and, and mine that earth and see if there is something there that might explain some of what you're going through now. Because chances are, if you're dealing with something that's fairly heavy and feels like a long time, it probably has roots in those years. It really does. Probably has roots in those years. Just go and study them. That's our recommendation for this week. We thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We will do this again in seven days you can find all information about our podcast at wetuesdaypeople.com you can see previous shows get in some of the discussions until we see you in seven days doing the same thing again on behalf of lisa goich my producer i am mitch album saying see you next tuesday thank you for listening to tuesday people To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.